Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com and make sure you join in the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. I'll just go ahead and say, also subscribe and share the show so I can chop that off at the end and maybe not butcher the the ending this time. I don't know. But joining me in person, we have... Bradley Cox, Pastor at Resurrection Church, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. And via the interwebs. Hey, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, and remixer of Waymaker from Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, man. Dude, we got to hear about this then. (laughs) Well, there has been a desire, not particularly from from me, um, (laughs) to, to do... Our own version of Waymaker that's not eight minutes long and, and just doesn't sound meh. So, uh, myself, uh, our worship arts director, Paul, and Josiah, uh, my uh, cohort in all things worship leading, uh, spent a few hours last night uh, rearranging the song, um, programming uh, some new MIDI instruments. Uh, kind of uh, taking some cues from the digital age and uh, the way that they... Uh, uh, that's David Crowder's former band. Back when David Crowder band, that's the band in David Crowder band, was is now known as the digital age. Ah. And uh, they do some they do some cool stuff. Uh, mix, like, kind of uh, indie mixed with ethereal. Uh, some, some like really uh, uh, subtle synthy stuff. So... Trying to put all that together, and and uh, we've we've got it down to three minutes. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've got it down to three minutes, and uh, I think it'll be pretty cool. Uh, we're going to uh, lay down uh, guitar tracks tonight after rehearsal, so I've got to finish pr- programming the synths before then. But but are you going to use a Geneva amp sim? Ooh, it's on the board. Might as well. There you Why go. not? There Why you not? go. <laughs> But yes. Cutting down Waymaker to three minutes makes me think of that uh, Tim Hawkins bit where he does he says um, ADHD or versions of songs for ADHD people. <laughs> oh, you ever, no. oh no! He like you know he takes the Gambler and uh, you know Cats in the Cradle and all these song, like these famous songs and he sums them up into like two ver- like two two lines. Oh and no! It is hilarious. Just basically cut through all the minutia and get to the point. I like What's the it. Point? I like it. <laughs> you need to look that up on YouTube. I will. I think John is right now. <laughs> just just saving it for later. Because okay. way Waymaker, right? You know, it. You can you can cut that song to a. You probably could cut it to about forty five seconds. Yeah, it, yeah, you yeah. really could. And, and get the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the one thing that we were saying last night is we really wished that they would have. Uh, they would have gone, and now I realize that that Leland is not the person who wrote the song. We've talked about this a few episodes back, um, but the way that Leland did the song, and I'm a, I enjoy Leland stuff in general, but the way that they arranged the song, uh, if they weren't going to do anything interesting musically, they should have. I mean, it makes you wish that there would be something more interesting lyrically. It's not saying the lyrics are bad, but. It makes you right, it, right, it makes right. you want something more. Whereas in the original Sinash version, uh, uh, the uh, the individual who wrote it, um, there is there's a lot of musically interesting uh, components there. A lot of which are derived from uh, from uh, from gospel music, and uh, and particularly yeah. qu- choir, yes. choral. I think there are just some songs that they become that their redundancy. Um, and lack of general music texture gets exposed when you when you reduce it down to like um, two vocalists and mm-hmm. a bunch of guitars. Yeah, sure. But when you've got a choir up there, there's so much more that's, musical texture. Yeah, and a choir that's not just there for ambience. Yeah, right. Because sometimes the the choir's there, but it's like. You know, they just double the track 15 times, you know, in Pro Tools and threw some reverb on it, and boom, there's a choir. And it's just there to add some thickness, but it doesn't add anything necessarily interesting. 
Um, it, True. It, it just adds body, which is fine in its own right. Oh, I forgot the cameras there, Richie. Um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's a good thing we're not on video. That would have terrified everyone. John Ross here, reaching through the camera and stealing your soul. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that. Anyway. <laughs> um, so with last week's episode being about Bradley's sabbatical, um, I figured this week would also be a good week to talk about uh, the, the doctrine of vocation and, and particularly how uh, the, the Protestant wing specifically talks about it. Um, how about John Ross, mm. since you're the uh, resident Augsburgian Christian and, indeed. And, uh, and obviously worship at the altar of Martin Luther Easy and don't now. know of any other... Down boy. <laughs> don't know of any other theologians in uh, in church history. A, Maybe Melanchthon not here a and sing, there. Not a single one. Yeah. Dietrich so Bonhoeffer. start us off with a, with a general definition of vocation. All right. So the concept of vocation, uh, first off, we know the word already. Uh, many people know it in terms of the jobs that we do. Our vocation is a pedal builder or a systems engineer or a pastor or a plumber or something like that. And I think the reason we often think of it that way is because uh, we have trade schools, also called vocational schools. Uh, Mm -hmm. And while that term is not wrong, I I think that um, as its use in the church has perhaps diminished or floundered somewhat, lessened, uh, its use in uh, in secular culture has has remained the same, uh, and and that being uh, one's career or or line of work. Now, when we think about this from a biblical perspective, see, this was something that yes, Cody Martin Luther uh, didn't necessarily discover, uh, but took the the Latin word vocatio and framed it as an understanding of, well, really, of the antithesis to the monastic lifestyle. Mm, yeah. You know, Luther made his, uh, his, uh, his vow to St. Anne on the, uh, on the road to, uh, oh, goodness, back home to Erfurt, I think, when he was on his way home from law school, in the middle of a lightning storm and said, I'll become a monk, I'll become mm. a monk, I'll become a monk, and so he did. Um, and in, in the midst of all that, uh, Luther was plagued with uh, varying levels of legalism. Uh, not, only, uh, not only that that he saw from, uh, from superiors throughout his life, uh, that would be superiors in the Roman Catholic Church at the time, uh, but also legalism that was, that was preached from the pulpit uh, in the term, uh, taken realistically out of context from Scripture. Anyways, the antithesis to that legalistic idea of monasticism and in that being the only way that you can quote serve God with your lifestyle. That was the idea of classical monasticism. In opposition to that, Luther began to teach about this concept that he called vocation, which really embodies all that a Christian is called to do in every context a Christian is called to do it in. Um, that meaning, not only your career, but those those things that, if someone were to ask you, you know, give, give me a list of like 10 things that, that identify you. Um, let's see, uh, father, uh, guitar player, uh, citizen of the United States, Nebraska and Lincoln, uh, mm-hmm. Husband, husband, right? Don't don't forget that one, John. Son, um, <laughs> so on and so forth, and systems engineer, and whatever else. Uh, mm-hmm. Boy Scout pack leader, uh, you know what what have you? Um, all of those things combine into this understanding of vocation. In that, all that you are is able to be used, and and is in fact specifically 
re- those responsibilities are specifically uh, bestowed upon you in order to give glory to God and to minister and to benefit those around you. You know, you, you'll you'll hear me in, when I get preachy on the show um, say to the glory of God and to the benefit of our neighbor. That is the idea. That is the core tenet of of vocation. Um. And you know the way the way that works out is uh, is really in a, in a few different ways. Um, I was pulling up some resources earlier, and uh, well, the way they flesh these out isn't necessarily um, the full direction I'd take it. Mostly on the patriotism side and things like that. Um, but the uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which is the uh, the denominational hubbub that that I quote ascribed to, um, really defines vocation in, in these parts. The first is called by the gospel. Uh, all Christians have a calling in the church. We are called to have faith, called to a local congregation, and we have a part to play in that community of faith. We're called to be citizens, to obey laws, to pay taxes, to honor and to pray for governing officials, um, it goes on to say that patriotic feelings and civil-mindedness are fitting responses to the blessings of God given this country and the citizenship to which he has called us. I can see that, in a manner of speaking. Uh, called to work. We don't choose our vocations. God chooses, chooses them for us. The Christian can understand the ordinary labors of life uh, to be charged with meaning through our labor, no matter how humble God is at work. God at work. Every Christian has a particular calling from God with the doctrine of vocation Ordinary relationships, the nine-to-five routine, taking care of the kids, the workaday world, the way we spend most hours of the day become charged with the presence of God. And this all wraps up in this concept of the masks of God. And that being, and, and this is the way that Luther puts it, vocations are the masks of God. On the surface, we see ordinary humans, mother, father, doctor, teacher, waitress, pastor, but underneath the appearances, God is ministering to us through those vocations, through those masks, and ministering to others through those vocations, through those masks. And, and in doing so, the work of God is, is hidden in, in human vocations, not in human form, but in what we are doing, which is, with that understanding, I mean, you can see how important uh, the doxological nature of this plays through. Right, right, and and, and understanding yeah. that, and 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 so so that's really the the idea of quote vocation. Um, you know, we can we can flesh this out uh, with uh, with some uh, some scriptural references uh, as as we go on, um, but the the main meat of it uh, comes from Ephesians two uh, verse ten. It's uh, for we are created in God's. Handiwork to do good works, good works which he has appointed in advance for us prepared to for accomplish us advance, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and those good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do are the very vocations that we talk about right now. So mm-hmm. I hope that frames it in a ecumenical and approachable way. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and it really, yeah. like, the more I think about this doctrine... Uh, particularly with the fact that we are called by God into these things. Um, isn't that freeing in a sense that we don't have it just it's it's just like justification by faith alone. We're not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is mm-hmm. is if God calls us to something, he's also going to supply what we need to go do it. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard. That Absolutely. doesn't mean we don't that doesn't mean that we just sit back and oh yeah, God will take care Gives of us. No, all we, we, need we work to hard as body for, and life. for the Lord, you know. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's helpful to um, when when you start to talk about doctrine, you it's helpful to think about its relationship to other doctrines. You, we don't isolate, yeah. we don't isolate doctrine. Yeah. It's it, doctrines are interconnected and I think the doctrine of vocation is particularly connected with you know the priesthood of all believers absolutely first peter 2 because we you know the the both the doctrine of priesthood of all believers and the doctrine of vocation um really helped to you know deconstruct this you know class system in the christian world right you've got the clergy 
who are the called ones, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, John mentioned this, the, the Latin word for vocation really means calling. Yeah. And so you're, you know, the called ones are not just the priests and the clergy. We are all called. We are all called by God, and we are all priests. We all have access to God. We all uh, can approach his throne. We all have access to the Mm -hmm. same mercy and grace via our share in Christ's high priest, being our high priest. Yeah. And and so, um, you know, I remember growing up, and this language was really dominant in the church culture that I grew up in, is you would talk about certain people as having a, quote-unquote, calling on their life. Right. And if, and if you were a person who my mom, you know, has said that a lot, like, you know, so-and-so has a calling on their life. And if you say that, then that's generally a reference to her feeling. And others would say too, uh, that that person is called by God to be in vocational ministry or in full time. That's their job. Right. Right. That's what they do for a living. Whereas again, priesthood of all believers, doctrine of vocation says, you know, Cody's called to be a husband. You're called by God to be Kristen's husband. You're called by God mm-hmm. in yep. Westminster Effects. You're called by God at Resurrection Church. You're called by God in your neighbors, with your neighbors and in your family and, and all of these things to the glory of God uh, because you're a priest just like I am, mm-hmm. even though you don't have reverend in front of your name. Right. <laughs> though, though I have, I think I've, somebody has called me the reverend of tone before. There you go. I reverend think that may have happened before, which is, which was a little weird, honestly. You, you know, get a 501c3 for <laughs> Westminster and start ordaining people. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if that weren't so borderline blasphemous, I would say run with that so far because God darn <laughs> that's. But I'll, I'll say this too. I Can mean, we do Luther, Bishop of Tone? Bishop isn't used anymore. We can use right. Bishop of Tone. Luther was, you know, in deconstructing that class system of, of called versus uncalled, you know, mm-hmm. um, Luther was not trying to deconstruct, you know, the necessity of clergy and laity. I mean, there. No. I mean, he, there, there's. Luther affirmed that there, there's there's biblical grounds for there to be people who are set apart and called uh, to be pastors, elders, bishops, mm-hmm. shepherds in the church, Overseers, with the gift of teaching, yeah. all of that. And, yeah. And and the and the same token, the value of laity, the value of people who you know have jobs outside the local church, but still see themselves as called and respect you know the particular gifts that God gives to those who are clergy. I mean, that, I think that's an important part of the the Protestant understanding. Yeah, now now correct me if I'm wrong. It even got to the point in Rome where where they would instead of, you know, having church or even having the mass as as many disagreements as we have with the doctrine of the mass, but it got to the point where the clergy were performing the mass mm-hmm. I mean, where, where you can even make a modern day allegory now where you know the people on stage are basically performing the church service where, where no it's we're all in this yeah. we are all worshiping god in the in the church service together mm-hmm. both clergy and laity yeah you're yep. you're you're not you're not wrong um and in fact that practice is is one of the things that inspired uh luther to study this concept more um, and it, it didn't just begin um, once the people were, uh, say, empowered, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, but there was this concept, and, and realistically still is, uh, in the theology of the Roman Catholic Church, um, of ex opero operato. Um, essentially, it means by the virtue of doing, it is accomplished, or something along those lines. Uh, meaning... The the past well the at the time the the priest um, using that term uh, uh, specifically I mean the the reason that that the Roman Catholic Church uses priest uh, as as the the formal title second to father uh, is is really derived from this 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 doctrine uh, that they hold to uh, that the actions of the the, the cleric. Uh, can be imparted uh, to those in witness of it, and and I mean mm-hmm. it's it's the same uh, it's the same cognitive construct that leads us to um, buying indulgences. Let's say purgatory was a thing; 
It's not, but let's say it is. It's the same cognitive construct that would lead them to say, well, if, if the priest can offer prayers and petitions and confession and this and that and the other thing on behalf of the people, well, certainly uh, you should be able to uh, offer whatever, in the case of indulgences, money uh, or penance or what have you, uh, to the benefit of those uh, who may be locked in purgatory. Uh, I mean, that was, the, that was what set Luther over the edge. Uh, with the yeah, indulgences but, piece, well, uh, well, in there, I don't know if 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 you saw uh, recently, there was a a Catholic priest whose baptism was found to be invalid, and they're basically having their own docetist controversy in the Roman Catholic <laughs> Church, and they're doing contact tracing to find all of the people this guy baptized, all of the people this guy married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Oh my to to basically make good on the fact that quote unquote the sacraments that he administered weren't any good. Well, that's because and, the, the, wow. the the raw understanding of that um, from that right. point of view uh, is that it is the one doing the work that is accomplishing these things. I mean, right. So that that's why it is it is one of the few, thankfully, although regrettably the largest uh, quote Christian denomination that holds to the insufficiency of the work and action of Christ mm-hmm. uh, and and supplements it by the work and, and penance of the people um, garnered for them in part by the uh, uh, by the in 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 their stead by the priest I mean it's this it's just so messy and I can understand why why Luther and and give give thanks to God that not only Luther, but Huss and Zwingli and Calvin mm-hmm. and so on and so mm-hmm. forth realized how much of a mess this was. Yeah. And started to bring these things to light. I mean, we can go into, uh, you know, musing about <laughs> what happened to Rome. <laughs> you know, what happened to the church um, during those first 1,500 years? Um, but at the end, that, that really doesn't matter. But... Um, you're, that was about seven minutes of dialogue to say, yes, Cody, you're right. They did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they did do the uh, the church services and even receive uh, the sacrament of the altar on behalf of the congregants. Uh, in fact, there are many Roman churches where the congregants only receive uh, the uh, the bread, which of course mm, they confess yeah. transubstantiation, yeah. so you know, but, whatever. But we lo- uh, we lost you there for a second. But uh, but it was, to it bring was it, a transubstantiation. To really bring it into kind of a a more broad evangelicalism or sure. broad Protestantism kind of thing. You know, we often hear, you know, what are you what are you doing for the kingdom, mm, and why yeah. aren't you doing X Y Z A B C etc. And, you know, some of those things that, that will be listed, well, we shouldn't neglect those things at all. And if you're refusing to do those things, then that's a problem, mm-hmm. obviously. But we often get guilt-tripped into thinking, well, should I sell my house and give everything to the poor and then go plant a church in, in the middle of nowhere in Africa or, or whatever? And But you look at Ephesians 5 and 6, and the good works that John referenced in Ephesians 2, a lot... I would even say most of those works are in our general vocations of being a decent husband, being a decent kid, uh, because even in that list that Paul gives, you have slaves, <laughs> yeah. and slaves aren't about to go change the world. For right? sure. I mean, and since we're on the topic of Paul's lists, I mean, there, there's another one that that really gives us the core tendencies of uh, of how to live in the midst of vocation uh, from from Colossians 3. Uh, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone, so on and, forth, so, so on and so forth. And while that is not spoken specifically in terms of this is what vocation means, uh, once again, doctrines don't exist isolated. They uh, yep. They are complementary and supporting of one another. And if we look yeah, with, at, at this list of things, it, it's really a list of how to be relational. 
And then if we take that and look at what vocations are in this understanding that is, is a doxological method of not only ministering to us, but ministering to others, that's a highly relational thing. And these, and these concepts from Colossians certainly play a part into that. I think that... Um so, you know, th- this doctrine is not talked about enough yeah. in, the, in the church. Yeah. Um, at least in my lifetime, it hasn't been talked about enough. And I find that a lot of Christians, that they they have these categories um, in their lives. Or, you know, uh, these are the things that I do for the Lord, and then th- these are just the things. Yep. Right? Like, yeah. so if I, if I volunteer at church on, you know, and I'm talking about people that aren't in, in – you know, full-time paid or part-time paid ministry. Mm-hmm. If I volunteer in the church on the worship team or on the host team, or I serve coffee or I, I work in the nursery uh, or I participate in a local outreach, those are the things that I do for the Lord. Those are the, those are the ministries that I'm called to. And then everything else, my, my marriage, my parenting, my keeping up my grass, uh, my, my career, my job, my, my citizenship, you know, paying my taxes mm-hmm. and all these other things are sort of lumped into this other category that's for, you know, I, I guess lack of a better term, it's, it's secular and then over here is sacred. Mm-hmm. And I it's, remember years you know, ago, we were, I was on a go short ahead, go ahead, but, trip. But, but call on me in a second. Go ahead, but call on me in a second. Okay. All right. <laughs> I remember I was on a short-term missions trip several years ago and myself and another full-time vocational pastor that was with me, um, we it was the end. It was the end of the day. It was in the evening, and we were reflecting on the things we had done that day. Um, it was all manner of things, you know, physical labor to working with children to doing some medical mission, <clears throat> and we were just talking about how amazing it is when you get, you know, again, quote unquote, everyday ordinary people, who their you know their job, their career is not in a local church. You get them out of the country, and you get them on a short term missions trip. And whether they are, you know, handing out medicine at a medical clinic or digging a hole uh, or cutting grass at some, you know, community center in a place like Jamaica or, Mm -hmm. you know, working with children in a local school, sharing the gospel with them, all, all of those people had such a sense of calling. About right. what they were doing. I'm here, and in whatever it is I put my hands to, if it's painting a wall or teaching children about Jesus mm-hmm. while I'm here for these seven days, there's a sense of calling and purpose, and I'm doing ministry. Yep. And then we come home to our normal routines, and we've got those things separated. And what you're saying is absolutely true, Cody, is that you know it doesn't matter what you, what you do to pay the bills— if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you're a part of a kingdom yep. and you're a priest within that kingdom and you are called by God to be faithful in whatever he has put in your life to steward for his glory and let him, let that be the mask of God and you know where where he, you 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 look for and you anticipate that God is going to be in under over behind and around everything you do in your marriage with your children. I'm I'm going to take my you know, daughter to soccer practice in a little while, and my son is going to ride with me, and we're going to go and look for a pizza stone for my green egg, and I'm going to spend some time talking with him. I've mm-hmm. got some things, some questions I want to ask him that, you know, just I just felt in prayer I, I needed to talk to my son about a few things, but I'm going to weave it into some activity that you mm-hmm. and I are doing together. That is very much as much a part of my calling in life as it is what I do on Sunday mornings. And, oh yeah. And I think, you know, this, this needs to be talked about more in the church because we shouldn't have these separate categories. All right, John, I'm calling on you. now. But before you go, when you, when you, (laughs) when you said, when you said in with an under, I was like, John's going to jump in here on communion now, isn't he? In with an under. (laughs) I like those words. They're good words, quality words. You're rubbing off on me, John. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what can I say? Um, so what uh, what clicked in my head when, when you were saying that many people have that distinction of this is what I do for the Lord and this is everything else. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of a uh, of an improper 
understanding of another doctrine, the doctrine of the two kingdoms, which is once again primarily a Lutheran thing, but you can see how this plays into vocation. Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it is ascribed to by uh, by a good number in in the the Calvinist category, and, and that is is that there are two kingdoms: the kingdoms of the left, the kingdom of the right. God is sovereign and rules over all in different ways. Uh, and the idea is that the kingdom of the left is all earthly things. The kingdom of man, the kingdom of the law, the sinful, the sinful kingdom. And the kingdom of the right is all things godly and all things spiritual. And there's different ways to understand that and frame that, but that's kind of the gist of it. If you just take it like that, you're like, oh, well, something like that, that, that distinction between what I do for the Lord and what I do for everything else makes sense. But what we neglect to understand not us in general, but, but what many neglect to understand, I should say, is that it's not a choice of whether I'm going to be in the kingdom of the right hand from, from 8 a.m. to noon on Sunday and uh, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Wednesday and everything else I'm going to be in the kingdom of the left. Mm-hmm. We are positioned right in the middle of those two kingdoms by virtue of our nature. Our nature being, on one hand, sinful humans separated spiritually blind dead and enemies of god and then the others by the virtue of christ risen sanctified sons and daughters of god we exist in this middle ground right in between and in both kingdoms and we don't we we, we can't move back and forth between them but we need to act in the midst of both kingdoms, in a way that comes from the kingdom of the right or the kingdom of uh, the, the the kingdom of the spiritual things, um, it's a much more complex uh, doctrine than that. But that that did remind me of that, and, and how many people could probably hear, um, you know, we have the world over here, and we have the 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 church, we have the heavens over here, and they're separate things. We have the kingdom of the left, the kingdom of the right. And, and improperly draw that, that distinction uh, rather than uh, embracing that the fact that there is a distinction in the first place is because we are fallen sinful people and that we have been redeemed by Christ the crucified. And so therefore we sit in the middle uh, and back to the masks of God uh, doing his handiwork. But yeah, that was, that was just a thought that popped into my head. So. I, I just a little... <clears throat> Again, I, I don't know our listenership very well. You guys know names and interact with people way more than I do. But um, I don't know what the mixture is of people who are you know paid by the church or work outside the church. And then, you know, um, regardless, if, if someone wants to really like practically speaking, how do I live out um, this doctrine? How do I? How do I how do I think of myself as a called one and and live that way? I think you know John mentioned Colossians three. I think that's a great passage to live in, and and I would just mention Matthew five. Like this is to me the doctrine of vocation out of the word from the mouth of our Lord when he gives the beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted, uh, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. And then he goes into, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. And, and I think the understanding of salt and light is rooted in these beatitudes, is that I go about my 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 role and my my place as you know uh, an employee of Zillow Group or a business owner of Westminster or a pastor at a church or a guy who owns a landscape company or a college student or professor I, I go about all these things with you know I'm salt and light in all, in all these places and 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 what makes my life salty what makes it bright in a dark place it's 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 the pure in heart. It's mm-hmm. those who mourn. It's those who hunger and thirst. It's those who, when they are persecuted, they rejoice and are glad. 
you know, I think that I think that's how the doctrine of vocation gets. I mean, though those with a, a posture of humility. Yes. Uh, I mean, we we see this in so many ways. You know, um, uh, from the psalmist, "Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord," mm-hmm. to uh, uh, the uh, the children who were brought to Jesus. And the, and, and the apostle said, ah, shoo, shoo, get away, get away from him. And he's like, no, unless you are like one of these, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is not a comment on, on baptism, Cody Fields. I'm not, I'm not going there. Um, I addressed that in a comment uh, yesterday on the Inquisition post. You can, you can read that uh, at your leisure. Um, although I did see you gave it a care emoji, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, but one one day we do need to do a baptism episode. One day, the, the throwdown, <laughs> baptism throwdown. Hey, I will say this, John. I had lunch with uh, my good friend Seth Kane, who's been on the podcast, mm-hmm. Anglican pastor, um, about baptism, and he said some of the most convincing things I've ever heard about infant baptism. I'm not saying I'm going to start baptizing babies. I'm not, but. I, I, you know, when his, we need to get him on maybe and talk about, let mm-hmm. him and John go at it. And maybe you and I will come from the other side, but it, it was some of the most convincing arguments, it, at least I'd say convincing, at least I understood it better. Sure. Yeah. There, there are some very good arguments. There's no doubt. There's very good arguments. And yeah. I think there's an understanding that can be gained regardless of what side you fall on. Where and, and probably that understanding exists more on the infant Baptist side than it does on the believer's baptism. And like we, believers, mm-hmm. people who practice believer's baptism tend to look at infant baptism like a cow at a new gate. I don't. What is that? What? What? How does that doesn't even make sense right. until you sit down and listen sure. to what's the understanding of it. You know. Um, anyway. And, yeah, and when we do that episode, sidetrack. when we do that episode, we will avoid the line. Well, babies wet themselves already. And- <laughs> We'll have, to, we'll have to live stream it though. Um, what was, what was that old show on CNN? What was that old show on CNN with like James Carville and and that other guy? Uh, was it Crossfire? Yeah. Anyways, I mean, we we see throughout Scripture this idea um, of uh, adopting a posture of humility, not only uh, making yourself a servant to all, as did Christ, uh, but when you humble yourself below all things, you can also receive from all things. And that's not a prosperity ploy. I'm thinking mostly of <laughs> even in terms of uh, scriptural interpretation. You know, standing underneath right. the, standing underneath the text, text, receiving from it what it, you know, what it would have you learn, uh, rather than standing above it and pulling out what you would want to hear, and so on and so forth. That, that posture of humility is, uh, I, I think, is, is key to Christian living and and therein key to the understanding of, of vocation, which is Christian living. Uh, in I don't think there's there's a situation where even if tenacity and, and some aggressiveness is required, uh, such as seeking a, a promotion, for instance, um, I, I think even in the midst of those, there's a place for meekness. Uh, for yeah. humility, um, for uh, you know, for for mourning, even uh, been there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Good, good point. Yeah, awesome. Let's move on to the Inquisition. Ah, looking forward to it. Of course, the network stutters right there. Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah, whatever. And this is the Inquisition, where we take questions from you, the listener, via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. So make sure you go join that on Facebook. As is tradition, who do we have? Brian Morris. <laughs> so, so Brian Morris with our first question. He asks, what praise and worship or CCM trends would you like to see die? <laughs> die. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it, it doesn't have to mean like all this totally heretical thing, but maybe even no, just something no. that that you and, don't and, care for. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's too much 808 uh, drum sampling going on. I don't know. Ain't no uh, such thing as too much 808. That's um, true. Uh, for me, the first uh, now you know like like word recognition uh, games. You know, say the first thing that comes to your head. Yeah. Um, I, I I think I saw this, but I didn't put any thought into it. Um, 
like and, and this is weird because I wear long t-shirts because I'm a t- real I'm a really tall guy. Um, but the big, like the big T-shirts that go down almost to your knee—they're a dress, really. <laughs> but like the neck, the neck is just like—I mean, you could fit a five-gallon bucket through there. I don't, I don't get it. And you know, like, I don't mind a long, a long T-shirt with like a scoop cut or a deep V or whatever. I mean, you do you. Um, but you mix that with like. You know the the big old like Marty McFly sneakers and the skinny ripped up jeans. It's just it's a weird look, and like I think that does un- anybody else really have that look other than P Dub's guys? I don't think so, oh. and I think it's because like underneath like underneath the soft glow of Edison of Edison bulb light bulb. <laughs> oh uh, <my> <laughs> Sorry, that this, the soft amber glow of exposed filament. Uh, the uh, I, I, it, it works with a little bit of fog in the room, you know, with a gretch maybe. Uh, but you turn on the fluorescent lights when everyone's cleaning up. God darn, you probably look like a dope. Like I, I just <laughs> the only person, the only person who I have ever seen pull off the dress shirt is uh, is Josh Ham, the basis for Planet Shakers. Hands yeah, I can down. see that, can and see that's that. o- and only because he is hands down the best bass player in all CCM ever. That's true. That that guy just shreds on bass. Bears eat beets. <laughs> <laughs> Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. What you got, Brad? What are you doing? I don't know that I have anything to add to that. I mean, I always kind of go to like the I call them the Stephen Furtick shoes, those weird, yeah. feminine looking boot things that guys oh, yeah, wear yeah. with tight jeans. I the Chelsea boots. Stand those shoes. Yeah, the Chelsea boots. Yeah. What do they call? Yep. Chelsea boots. They even have a they even have a feminine name. Yeah. Do you you don't wear those, do you, John? You honestly think they come in size fifteen? Come on, Bradley. You know me. <laughs> you know better than that. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, I guess my answer would be uh, the the uh, the super stereotypical song structure, where we we've actually done a really good job of not having the same song structure in every set. Like, there's nothing wrong with the song structure, but when it's every song all the time, it gets old. Where it's you know low verse, low chorus, little bit bigger verse, bigger chorus. And then build the bridge until there's this eruption, and then you either go really huge on a chorus, or you go or you, really, really down yeah. on the chorus, and then erupt again. Yeah. And uh, that just, it's it's getting old. It's just getting old. Uh, next question, John Buchanan Jr. He says, I'm new here. Well, hi, welcome. and welcome. Uh, did God give alcohol to believers? Yep. We knew, we knew what the Lutheran would say. I don't even drink anymore, and that's my answer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the psalm says as such. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, alcohol is one of those sticky things, isn't it? Where it's like, you know, there's so much cultural, mm-hmm. you know, um, bias that, that plays into it based on yep. where you live and where you're from. Yep. And then, um, and I think, you know, it's also something that can be very dangerous, you know. I had a young man come in my office not that long ago um, that he, his dad, um, who is now deceased in this, this kid's like 11, 12 years old. His Mm. dad's deceased. His dad had huge drug and alcohol problems. He has an uncle that has battled serious addiction. He has a grandfather that's battled serious addiction. Uh, he sees all this going on, and he, his question to me, his mom brought him to my office, was if alcohol has caused all these problems, alcohol and drugs has caused all these problems in my family, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Mm. And you talk about a difficult conversation. Yeah. for With an 11, 12-year-old. I mean, yep. obviously, we might think we could answer that question and, and talk about it as adults, but... To, to help a kid understand that alcohol can be extremely dangerous and that yet, and yet also be a blessing in the right yep. context. And I, I don't want to go on too long. I know we're going long, but I, I had a lady in my office. Uh, she still comes to church here. She's an old, old lady. She's a widow. 
and she grew up in an extremely legalistic church tradition. Mm -hmm. And when I say extreme, this lady struggles to drink a Pepsi and not feel guilty. Yeah. Anything pleasurable for her, she struggles not to think that it might be sinful. Mm -hmm. And she's done this on more than one occasion. She came and, and we, she knows the Bible. And, mm -hmm. and it's really an emotional struggle. It's not an intellectual one because we our conversations would go like she would say, I know the Bible says, but I'm struggling here. And so we went through and I even talked with her about alcohol because that that seems like, you know, that's you struggle to drink a Pepsi. You can't even fathom. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, I know I know what the Bible says. And she said, I understand even that even alcohol but she said i'm not going to have my first drink until i'm in heaven which that's all, like how do you even i, I just <laughs> I, I literally sat there and was just my mouth gaped open i thought that is freaking awesome yeah like yeah she, it is. she just she realizes there's 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 something there that maybe god's in god's gifted and um but you know when all of the the fleshly appetites are done um that's when I'll partake. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, hey, you go, girl. That's awesome. Whether, I mean, whether you eat you, or you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Right? right. Yeah. That's right. All things are yeah. lawful, not all things are helpful. Take, that's you right. know, take mm -hmm. your pick. Yeah. And I mean, we see all through scripture, it's it's called a blessing, and then it's uh, it's considered a curse or judgment from God when you don't have it. Yeah. When, 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 when the beer doesn't flow like wine. <laughs> oh, yes. Good call. Good job. <laughs> um, but uh, further reading, uh, Look Up God Gave Wine by Kenneth Gentry, who lives around here, by the way. Does he? Yeah, he does. Um, we, maybe we can get him on the show sometime. Um, but fantastic book. Uh, I wasn't drinking at the time and hadn't, I didn't even plan to. I just wanted to know, like, is this is this okay? And it's just like, at, by the end of that book is like, yeah, I can't get around it. It's totally okay. You know, obviously without abusing it, but even, uh, I'm, John, I believe it was Luther who was talking about, you know, are, are we going to get rid of alcohol because we abuse it? He's like, well, if we're going to do that, then we have to get rid of women because we abuse them all the time too. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Luther. Good old Luther. This old is Luther. the, uh, the Martin Luther special. Luther has replaced John Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Germans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll just do one more Hunter Chapin. Make sure you uh, resubmit that question next week, or we might turn it into an episode. That was a really good question. Uh, but uh, Brandon Dufresne, I think I'm saying that correctly. If you have a Christian brother who is not in church, even pre-COVID, what's the best way to approach him? What if that person has been hurt by every church they have attended? Well, every person's going to be hurt by every church they attend in, in some way, right? Like mm -hmm. somebody's going to say something dumb or, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be some kind of corruption because we're, we are all hypocrites, like mm -hmm. join the club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I guess, I guess he's kind of asking, is this, uh, is this breaking off a foot in their hind parts or giving them a hug and just encouraging them? And I think it kind of depends on the friend, right? Like it kind of depends on their mentality and and what's happened to them and you mm -hmm. you know their situation and there are going to be some people where you can be like, dude, come on, like for real. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where it's like, I get it. Let me give you a hug. We'll do this together, right? Yeah, you know, it, it's difficult to give guidance um, on a, on a specific situation without the specifics, and it's not yeah. that we're asking for specifics. I, I don't believe that'd be appropriate in in, in this case. Um, but, you know, when, when, when we don't know what the nature of, quote, being hurt by the church, uh, assuming uh, small, ch small c, individual congregational churches, mm -hmm. um, what the, when we don't know what that looks like, it's difficult to say, no, yeah, here's your answer. Um, maybe it's something really bad. That yeah, it, is yeah, almost, it really could be. I mean, that's mm -hmm. almost insurmountable. Mm -hmm. But he has a heart for the Lord and desires to be in communion, so to speak, with his brothers and sisters. I mean, we're speculating a lot here, but we have to. But right. but perhaps perhaps that's the idea. Start a church. 
you know, what's the guy's name that submitted the question? Brandon. So Brandon, um, you know, in an effort to not assume the details of the situation, I, I would just, my advice would be to consider first Thessalonians five fourteen. This is a real go-to verse for me pastorally. Um, such helpful words from Paul when he says, and we urge you brothers admonish the idle. And really that word is unruly. And we know that admonish is, you know, it's, it's the tough love. It's the, come on. It is the break your foot off in somebody's hind parts mm-hmm. because someone is belligerently not doing what they know they should do. Right. Um, then he says, encourage the faint hearted. So, that is the picture of not it's not admonishment but it's helping someone see that they know what they should do but they can't find the path forward so you're helping them find the path Mm -hmm. there's a difference between being rebellious against what you know to do versus i know what to do but i can't see the way to do it Mm -hmm. so you find a way to encourage them in that and then there's help the weak that's literally i get under the load with you right so if someone you know church hurt can be some of the deepest hurt of all right and i think that you know res church for whatever reason has been a church where people who have been hurt by the church have come here and so i've had to do a lot of discerning is this an admonishment situation is Mm -hmm. this an encouragement situation or is this a help the weak kind of situation and then paul adds the blanket statement be patient with them all. Mm-hmm. So in general, what I can say is be patient with your Christian friend. Um, but then prayerfully ask for discernment. Do I need to offer admonishment, encouragement, or help? And Lord, help me do whatever, whichever one is needed in this situation. And that's really good to keep in mind with everything in the church. We want everything Absolutely. microwaved. We want to have one conversation and fix it where it's, you know, you have to look at, the long term, you know, whether it's whether it's long term health of the relationship or the church or whatever, whether we're talking, maybe maybe we're talking about you know changing the worship structure, right. or or maybe we're talking about uh, the best way to do kids ministry or whatever. Those things take a lot of time and a lot of thought and a lot of prayer, sure and do. so we should be patient in every single one of those areas, right? Absolutely. So same same thing yeah. with your friend Brandon. Uh, it it's probably going to be more than one conversation. So, you got anything else, John? No. Well said. Okay. Good. Well said. <laughs> because because we're I'm at the tired end anyway. of hearing from you. So make sure you follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you leave a review and you can support the show at Anchor.fm. And make sure you email me when you do, and I'll hook you up with stuff. And uh, so I guess for Bradley and John. I'm Cody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.